How are we doing tonight? Y'all good? Yeah, yeah. Well, um, man, it's good to be with you tonight. And you probably already know, but we're starting a new kind of collection of talks tonight called Situationships. And, and I'm just interested. We, we did um, something last year on dating and relationship. And I'm just kind of curious, how many of you were here last year for that? Anybody? Okay, cool. So we got some, uh, maybe some new people who are... Uh, maybe freshmen, or maybe you just started coming, so you're new to the conversation on relationships and dating, at least here with us. And so I'm really excited to uh, jump into that. I wish I could ask you to raise your hand if you've ever found yourself in a situationship, but I don't want to um, embarrass anybody, so we'll just assume that you have not. Not here, not here at this church at least, right? Yeah, I know that's not true, but... Um, you know, as we've as as we we started talking about what, what should we call this series, the the idea of situationships came up, and and this was kind of a new term for me. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm an old guy to be honest, so this was kind of a new term for me. I'm not real familiar with it, so I started asking around. What is a situationship? Do you have an idea what it is? Turn to your neighbor real quick and just tell him what is. Tell him what you think a situationship is. You don't know because you've never been in one, right? A situationship. Here's what I know. It is messy. It is extremely messy is what I've learned. A situationship is messy. It can get brutal. It can get nasty. It often leaves people hurt at the end. And, but there was one kind of common theme that I came across as I asked people, what in the world is a situationship? And the common theme that I came across is it's typically uh, there's a lack of clarity in a situationship. Would you agree with that? Like usually, I mean, there's probably other things involved, but there's always a lack of of clarity where there is a situationship. So what I want to do for the next few weeks is do my best to help you discover how can I have clarity in a relationship? How can I, I have clarity myself? How can I help bring clarity to the other person in the relationship? But clarity is extremely important in relationships, as I'm sure you already know. But I want to help you maybe begin to grasp how and where you should seek clarity. And so we're going to talk about clarity in a few different areas over the next few weeks. But I want to begin tonight really at an appropriate place, I think, which is to, is to talk about how you need clarity in the beginning. You need clarity from the very beginning. You need clarity from the start. Now, if you were here last year, which it looks like maybe half of you weren't, um, but, but last year you may remember we talked about this, and I introduced a concept or a way to think about dating as thinking about two different paths that you can go down. You can go down one or two paths. and Well, you can go down one path, but there's two of them. You get to choose which one you want to go down. And so what I'm going to do over the next few weeks is kind of revisit that, hopefully give it some fresh perspective for those of you that have already heard it. Um, but maybe you just need a refresher on it. So I'm going to revisit that and, and talk through a kind of a, a few new things that I feel like God's given me through that. But I really believe it's a helpful way to think about dating is think about these two paths. And the two paths are really this. You have a healthy path and you have an unhealthy path. Okay. I'm a simple guy, right? So you have an unhealthy path and you have a healthy path. Now, um, obviously, or 
I think this is obvious, but maybe it's not. The healthy path is the path that I believe lines up the most with God's design. The, belief, or the path that I really believe lines the most up with uh, what Scripture teaches. And then obviously the unhealthy path is not. But there's a reason why I'm not calling it the unbiblical path and the biblical path. There's a reason why, and I want to just talk about that for a little bit. The reason is this. The Bible, maybe you already know this, the Bible says absolutely nothing about dating. That much about dating. It says nothing. So hopefully that doesn't discourage you tonight. You're like, why am I here? I don't know why I'm here. But it doesn't say anything about dating. In fact, uh, dating as we know it has really only been around for like 100, maybe 115 years. And think about even that. The difference between how we date now in 2024 to how someone dated maybe back in the 20s. Massive difference, right? But dating as we know it, or courting if you like that, has really only been around for a century or a little bit longer. They did not date in Bible times, okay? And so people often ask, or they say something like, you know, I want to I wanna go about dating in a biblical way. Well, just so you know, if you really want to do that, the best way to go about that is to have an arranged marriage, okay? Anybody up for that? No. That's how they did dating back then. The Bible was written in an absolute, I mean, thousands of years ago on a different continent in a different language to different people in a different context. So it's still relevant, and it's still inerrant, it's still truth, but dating was different then. So what we do to come up, come up with kind of what is the wise way to go about dating is the Bible says a whole lot about how you are to honor one another as people. The Bible says a whole lot about who you are to become as a person. The Bible says a whole lot about love for people. The Bible says a whole lot about sexuality. The Bible says a lot about marriage. And so we take what does the Bible say about these and kind of come up with a what is the right way to go about dating or what is a healthy way to go about dating. So that's kind of how I'm approaching it the next few weeks, just so you know. But the first stage of the healthy and unhealthy path and we're going to kind of compare and contrast these of which path are you on. Hopefully you can kind of do some self-evaluating to go, okay, I think I'm on this one. Or, or, or hopefully even better than that is to go, okay, as I begin this journey of thinking about dating and relationships, I want to make sure I'm beginning at this point. Because the first stage on the path honestly really begins before you even get in a relationship. I mean, you can make adjustments and change even if you are in a relationship tonight, so that's good news. But really, it's at the very beginning where you need clarity. And you can begin by thinking through these paths. And so the first stage that we're going to look at tonight, and the only one that we're going to look at tonight, is the difference between an unhealthy path, which begins with desperation. It begins with being desperate, versus the healthy path, which begins with dependence. With dependence and really dependence on God is what we're talking about there, not dependence on another human being, but dependence on God. So let's talk first about what it means to start from a desperate place. Now, I'm assuming everybody in here would say that they are not desperate. Anybody want to raise your hand and say, I'm an absolutely desperate human being. I am desperate for a boyfriend or girlfriend. No, nobody's going to admit to that, right? Nobody's going to say they're desperate. We all probably assume we are not desperate. But the reality is, is that a lot of college students, a lot of college students or young adults in general, struggle and they become obsessed with being in relationships 
or they become crushed because of the lack of one because they're starting with a desperate foundation. They're desperate. Now, it takes a lot of courage for you to say, I think that may be me. But if I can just encourage you tonight, it's okay to just confess that's me. I think that's where I'm at. And then what I'm going to encourage you to do is to say, God, will you change me? Will you help me get on the dependent path? But a lot of people are desperate. And maybe that desperation comes from being driven by the fear of loneliness. You have a fear of being lonely the rest of your life or the belief that, I, you know, if I can't find a boyfriend or girlfriend, that it must mean that there is something about me that is unlovable and you can't stand to deal with that or to face that. Maybe, maybe desperation is driven by a desire to fill a void in your life. You're empty inside, and so you're looking for someone to give you a sense of meaning and purpose, and so you're desperate. But desperation is a shaky foundation to start at. So two things you need to know about desperation. Number one is this. Desperate people look to a relationship to solve what only God can solve. Desperate people look to a relationship to solve what only God can solve. I want to read tonight out of the book of John, if you have your Bibles. We forgot to do it in the beginning, so let's do it right now. If you got your Bibles, lift it up in the air. Let's go. <laughs> so proud of yourself. Good. You got your Bible? So turn to the book of John. I want to read a story from there. Maybe you've heard it before. John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to read about Jesus and the Samaritan woman. Jesus is kind of on a walk with his buddies. He gets off by himself. His friends leave him to go find food. And so he shows up to a well, and there's a Samaritan woman there. And so they begin to have a conversation. It says in verse 7, John chapter 4, verse 7, it says this, A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, because his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now that's kind of a weird statement. I'm sure at this point she's like, what? Okay, crazy. Um, he says to give you living water. Verse 11, sir, the woman said, you, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. So she's like, what? I mean, this well, I know who built this well. I know the water that comes out of it. I mean, what are you talking about? You have living water. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well, a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. Sir, the woman said, give me this water so that I will not go thirsty and come here to draw water. So at this point, she's still thinking he's talking about actual water. Jesus says, go call your husband and come back here. And she says, well, I don't, I don't have a husband. 
And he says, you have correctly said that you don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands. And the man that you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now, there's a lot more in the story. I encourage you to read the rest. It's a pretty cool ending to the story. But what I want to point out here is that this woman has clearly experienced some relational dysfunction, clearly experienced an enormous amount of of maybe even trauma or brokenness and probably shame. You can hear her kind of say, yeah, the man that I'm with right now is not my husband, right? Like she, she clearly continues to look to the next relationship or a hookup or something that she is longing for to fill a void in her life. And Jesus shows up and he says to her, I have living water. If you will drink of the water that I am offering, you will never be thirsty again. I have what ultimately will satisfy you. Jesus is saying, look, you're looking in all these different relationships. You're looking for something to satisfy the void that is in your heart. And he's saying, but it can be filled only through me. Jesus knew that everything she had tried did not ultimately fulfill her but that he would. So Jesus tells her that only he will satisfy her thirst and fulfill what she is actually longing for. You see, the lie of desperation that is easy for us to believe is this, that my soul is empty of something and a relationship will fill me. That is the lie that we believe is that my soul is empty, but a relationship will fill that void. But the truth of dependence, and we'll talk about dependence in a second. The truth of dependence is that my soul is empty. Notice those two are the same. My soul is empty and is longing for something. And only Jesus can satisfy me completely. That is the difference between desperation and dependence is that only he can bring true meaning and purpose to your life. And yes, he'll use human relationships and maybe one day marriage to, to bring a, an excitement and a joy to your life. He can do that. He can do that without marriage. He uses human interaction and companionship and community to, community to bring a joy to your life. But only he can ultimately satisfy you. And here is what's really crazy to me is that when you look to another human to satisfy the God-sized hole in your soul that can only be filled by God, listen to me, you show up, you bring an emptiness into a relationship. You bring an emptiness into a relationship that ironically will actually be the thing that destroys the relationship. See, when, when you show up to a relationship with an emptiness that hasn't been filled, and you are asking for another human being to fill that void, that desire for significance, that desire for purpose, that desire for meaning, that desire for, to, to know that you are loved, when you are asking another human being to do that, that is something that another human being cannot do. So I want you to hear me. When you show up to a relationship and ask somebody to do that for you, you are putting an expectation on them that is impossible for them to fulfill. And so that will be the thing that ultimately destroys your relationship. The thing that you looked for a relationship to do will be the thing that ultimately destroys it. You see, you're already 
already on shaky foundation if you're starting from desperation. So, number two, desperation. thing you need to know about desperation. Desperate people lower their standards to raise their chances. They lower the standards on the kind of person they're willing to date and the kind of person that they're willing to become. And this is one of the signs to help you know if you are operating from a desperate place. And I'm not talking about you lower your standards of what they look like. I'm talking about you lower your standards of their character and the kind of person that you're looking for in a relationship. So what started as, you know, I really want a guy who loves Jesus quickly becomes you settle for a guy with a cross necklace. I guess that'll do. I really wanted a guy who loves Jesus, and, and now, well, you know, he's got a scripture verse tattooed. So you settle, right? Desperate people lower their standards to raise their chances. And what happens is, and especially for, for women this happens, is, is you have a, a, a clock that's ticking. And this is one of the dangers. I just... Man, if I could get all of the ladies in a room and say, watch out for this. It's you have a clock that's ticking in your mind of a life that you desire and you have to follow the clock. And so you're here in college and you're thinking already in your mind, I, if, if I leave college without dating somebody, how in the world am I going to then meet somebody and then go through a relationship? And then you start catastrophizing, you know what I mean? Like, like one thing leads to another in your mind. So if I don't have a boyfriend, I leave college, then where am I going to find them when I'm out of college? And then if I don't have someone at 22, well, I got to date someone for a few years before we marry. And so by the time we get married, well, then I got to have kids like two years after marriage because I want to be married for a couple years before I have kids. So now we're looking at having our first kid at like 30, and that leaves us having our second kid at like 32, I'm going to be ancient. You have a clock ticking in your mind. And desperate people pay very close attention to the clock. And what I want to call you to tonight is something radically different from desperate. I want to call you to dependence on God. I want to call you to trust in him. I want to call you to trust that he knows what he's doing and to put your life in his hands. But desperation is at its core. I have to have someone. I have to have someone. So I'm willing to lower my standards in order to raise my chances and hopefully beat the clock that's ticking in my mind. Desperation shows up in a lot of different ways. It shows up in missionary dating. Y'all know what missionary dating is? Missionary dating is when you have one Christian who begins to date a non-Christian, hoping that they will then pull the non-Christian into the Christian life. So they were a missionary, and, and now that person gets saved. That's missionary dating. And so you get into a relationship. Maybe this is, is you. You get into a relationship as a Christian with a non-Christian, hoping that maybe you can change them. And you're putting a pressure on yourself that you cannot bear. Well, God put me in his life to help him, and I don't know what he was going to do without me, so I just don't know. And you're going into it as a missionary, hoping that you can save this person. And I want to be very, very clear tonight. 
that is absolutely against what Scripture teaches. Like point blank, zero blurriness about it. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 14, he says this. Do not be yoked together with those who do not believe. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? In other words, how, how could you even begin to go about life in the same direction? A yoke is this kind of uh, this, this piece of equipment that was used in farming that they would, they would attach one donkey to another donkey by this equipment so that they could head in the same direction. Or if they turned, they would turn together. They wouldn't work against each other. Okay? And, and sometimes they even use this unequally yoked term to talk about uh, like a, a mixed breed. So they don't have a donkey and a cow pulling together because they pull at different capacities. So what it's saying is don't have a believer and an unbeliever yoked together. It's not going to work. You're not going to head in the same direction. How can you even have the same worldview? How can you go about life even going in the same direction? I mean, I want you just to picture one day you're married and you come upon a big decision and you're wanting to go, I think we should go to God and, and pray about this and see what he wants us to do. And they go, go to God. Why? Why would we even? No, I don't pray. Can you imagine that? I mean, I, I want you to imagine that you encounter something extremely difficult in your life. And you go, I think, I think we should go to God and, and see what he wants for us. I think we should go to God and ask that he care for our lives. And your spouse is like, that sounds pretty stupid. Why do we do that? You see what I'm saying? How can an unbeliever and a believer be yoked together? They can't. Their worldview is completely different. The way they approach things is completely different. Ladies, if you are wanting to follow Jesus and the guy that you're interested in, is just apathetic about faith. I'm not even, maybe he claims to be a Christian, but if he is apathetic about faith, about church, about the Bible, about being surrounded by other guys who love Jesus, you are unequally yoked. And you are banking on, well, one day he's going to change. One day I think I think he'll get like a fire in his bones and that kind of stuff. I think you are banking on something that is not promised to you. And you're unequally yoked. And that is leading you down a path of destruction. So I just want to just throw out like some real caution to us tonight. Because desperate people are willing to go down that road. Because if this doesn't work out, I don't know what will. That's desperate. Desperation shows up with missionary dating. It shows up when you're not willing to end something that's toxic and unhealthy because you're desperate. What would I do without this person? You have a belief that it's not a big deal or, you know, things will change one day or maybe it's my fault too. And so you endure. You sit through something that is extremely unhealthy because at the end of the day, you're desperate for it to work out. A few months ago, we did this series on, on mental health, and we had a few professionals up here, some counselors and therapists, and I love one of the questions that got asked to them is, what do I, what do, I do if the person that I'm dating 
if, if that relationship is the cause for a lot of my mental unhealth, um, my mental illness or whatever it is. And, and uh, Joey, one of the therapists that was up here said this. He said, listen, no doubt relationships require work and they have to go through hardship. But if you are at a dating level and you are already experiencing some significant tension and significant unhealth in your relationship, it ought to be a giant red flag for you. No doubt relationships require work. But at a dating level, if that already exists for you, to bank on something happening and it's going to get better is a giant risk. A couple weeks ago, I was... Um, we were driving back from a, an out-of-town wedding that we went to. And so we were a few hours away from Statesboro. We got on the road. It was me, my wife, and our two kids. And um, we got on the road together, and it was a couple hours. And, and I don't know if you've ever driven with, with two kids, but you just kind of try to get there. I mean, you don't want to stop. It's just, let's just get home, you know. And so we weren't stopping, and I didn't eat breakfast that morning, and I was real hungry. And anybody know what happens when you get hungry? You get angry. It happens, okay? It happens to the best of us. Um, and so I was getting a little bit like some road rage. You know, I'm like starting to get angry at people driving on the road. And, and my wife is like, what is wrong with you? I'm like, I think I just need some food. I need some food. I need to stop, get some food. And she's like, well, we're out in the middle of nowhere. Where are we going to go? There's nothing around here. And so I find a gas station. I said, I'm going to that gas station. I go into the gas station, and I get gas station food. You know what that consists of? A bag of beef jerky, some chips, and then something sweet, like some Skittles or something, right? So that's, that's my, my meal. And I'm already, it's, you know, it's January. I'm trying to eat healthy. But now I go to gas station, and I get all this junk food, and I just start cramming it, right? But here's what I learned. When you're hungry or even starving, any restaurant will do. When you're desperate, any person will do. And so the best thing you can do at the very beginning, maybe even from the get-go, before you even get into a relationship, is to say, am I desperate? Am I operating out of a desperate place? Because when you are dependent on God, you can relax. You can take a deep breath and wait until he confirms what he's doing in your life. So dependent. The healthy path, dependence. I want to encourage you to take dependence, dependence on God. Do you trust God to satisfy the deepest desires of your heart? Jesus told the woman at the well that whoever drinks of his water will never thirst again. That in him we can find meaning and purpose and significance. And it's not that dependent people don't desire a relationship. It's just that they're not desperate because they're not in need of someone to fill a void because Jesus is filling that for them. It's not that they don't want a relationship, they're just not desperate for one. And when you and God are tight and right and God is meeting those needs and he is filling your emptiness, if and when God brings you into a relationship, then you enter it with a whole different maturity. See, dependent people are so intimately connected with God that they're dependent on him to fulfill the deepest desires of their heart. And so there's no pressure and there's no race to find the, quote, right one. And here's the thing. Dependent people know when they find someone else who is dependent. 
And when they do, when that happens, it's a beautiful match because they become encouragers and supporters of continued dependence. So do you trust God to provide and to satisfy? Do you trust that he'll satisfy the deepest longings of your heart? And do you trust that he'll provide on his timing? The key factor that separates dependence from desperation is dependent people trust. At the end of the day, they trust that God loves them and that God has their best interest in mind and they can trust him. I want to read to you another verse out of Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is saying all these things about, you know, he talks about consider the birds of the sky. They don't gather food for themselves and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more than, are you not worth more than birds? He says, observe all the wildflowers of the field that grow. They don't labor or spin thread. If, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, and the grass of the field, which is here today and it's gone tomorrow, won't he do that much more for you? And then it says in verse 31, so don't worry. Don't worry saying what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for the Gentiles. Eagerly seek all these things. The unbelievers seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be provided for you. Now, I want to be careful about adding into Scripture here, but Jesus is not just saying about, you know, what you eat, drink, and wear. He's ultimately saying, you don't have to worry about anything. Your heavenly Father cares for you, and he will provide everything that you need. And so I would just add to that, like, don't think about what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear or who will I marry or what will my job be or when will we have kids or will I ever have kids or will I ever get married or will I always be alone? Don't worry about those things. Your heavenly father cares for you. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be provided for you. I want to go out on a limb here and say, I really believe full heart that if you decided, God, I want to seek you first in your righteousness and follow you and just let the cards fall where they may with the relationship stuff. I don't know about 100%. I mean, I, I just, but here's what I know. I know God will take care of you. I know 100% that. I don't know if he's going to provide for you a relationship. I don't want to promise you, like, in one year, you'll find a boyfriend or girlfriend. I don't want to promise you that. But here's what I know 100% confident of. He will provide for you. And he will seek and he will satisfy you. You can 100% depend on that. And dependent people seek him first and then trust him to provide and satisfy. And all this can be done at the very beginning before you even get into a relationship. So I just want to kind of wrap us up here a little bit by talking about singleness. If you're in the room tonight and, and, and you're in a relationship, good for you. We love you. Pay attention uh, just because you may be able to help a single friend one day. But if you're single, I just want to give two truths to you tonight about singleness. Because there's a lot of lies around singleness. And there's a lot of things that you may be believing that, man, I just want to go, that's a lie. So let me just give you two truths. Number one is this. You need to know that singleness is not a curse. 
Singleness is not a curse. We can't ignore the fact that God's intent was that man and woman marry and procreate. That is all over scripture. He wants that. He loves that. But you can't ignore this either. That marriage is not for everyone. I mean, we're just going to ignore the fact that Jesus never got married? I think about Paul. Paul's, you know, super Christian. Paul's like number one Christian in the world. I'm just making that up. I don't know. But like he, he wrote like half of the New Testament. He's amazing. And he, and he plants churches all over Asia and he does these phenomenal things. How could he do that with family? Guess what? He didn't have one. He was single. And Paul says some pretty dramatic things, actually. He's, he says in his letter to the Corinthians, he says, To the married and the widow, it is good for you to remain single. That's actually what he says. He says later in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says this, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. How can he please the Lord? But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife and his interests are divided. Now, he's, say, he's not saying marriage is a bad thing and you shouldn't get married. He's just saying, hey, single people have the opportunity to do things that married people don't. They have the opportunity to have impact in a way that sometimes married people don't. So I just want you to make sure you have a clear picture tonight that, yes, God loves marriage and he wants people to get married, but you are not entitled to marriage. And the faster you can get to a place where you remove the idea of this isn't fair. It's not fair that she got married or he got married. It's not fair that I can't find someone. The faster you can get to taking that off the table and going, I am not entitled to this. In fact, it could be that God is actually going to use my singleness. So while you are single, choose to view it as a gift, not a curse. It can be a gift, not a curse. Now, because of the culture we live in, I feel like I, I need to just say this, that especially for you dudes, that does not mean that you just are like, bro, I ain't getting locked down until I'm like 35, man. I'm just going to stay out here and be single and not worry about anything and just kind of do my thing, you know? That's not what that means. That's not dependence on God. That is more than likely selfishness. Like, you don't want to have to get into something where you actually have to sacrifice for somebody and give yourself away to somebody. That's what you're trying to avoid. Not, you're not dependent on God and trusting that he bring you the right person. You're actually just selfish. So that's not what we're talking about. But for those of you who are sincere about following Jesus, hear me closely. It is okay to be single. God isn't withholding something from you. Perhaps he's actually asking something from you. And here's what I think he could be asking of you. Number two, singleness is the best time for you to mature. It is a great time for you to mature. We've spent the last few weeks talking about how God wants to mature us. He wants to grow the fruit of the spirit in us. And how does he do that? Listen, singleness is a great time for you to mature. Singleness is not a season. You have to get this. It is not a season of waiting, but rather a season of training. And you have to change your perspective from thinking, I'm just waiting on my person, to no, 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 I am training for my person. 
I'm not just waiting and just kind of going through life flippantly, but I am training for that person. One pastor said it this way, and I loved it, He's, and it's kind of confusing, so hang with me, but it's so clear. Are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? Are you the person that the person you're looking for is looking for? So embrace where you are, but prepare for where you want to be. Do you want to be the kind of boyfriend or husband that can lead his wife spiritually? Then now is the time as a single man to grow in that capacity. Now is the time to drink deeply from the well that flows living water. To go, God, I'm, I'm all in for you. Grow me, mature me, disciple me, fill me up so that one day when that day comes, I will have something to pour out. You see, perhaps the reason your relationship is empty and void is because you weren't filled up before you got into it. Do you want to be the kind of spouse who is fully devoted and faithful to their spouse? Then start now by developing a ruthless resistance to sexual sin. Some of you are so burdened under the weight of sexual sin and a slave to lust that if God were to give you a significant other, you wouldn't just crush yourself, but you would crush them. And so perhaps what God is leading you into, into your singleness, is now is the time for you to develop and mature and to gain some self-control and to not be completely mastered by your sexual desires. Now is the time. Hear me closely. Marriage doesn't take your lustful heart away. It just gives you somebody to take it out on. And so now is the time as a single man or woman to go, what do I do with my sexual energy? And how do I master that? How do I not let that control me? And how do I ultimately bring it under the rule and reign of God and follow his design? Spend your single days asking God to mature you into the kind of person who could contribute to a great relationship, not just consume from it. So wherever you're at, single, dating, engaged, the question is, are you dependent on God, trusting him to provide and satisfy the deepest longings of your soul? Because if not, there's a good chance that you're actually desperate. And you will go into something asking for someone to fill you or to, to, to satisfy a void in your heart that they do not have the capacity to do. I want to end tonight. I know we're, we're running late. I hope maybe shake it out a little bit. I want to just end tonight by doing something. And that is I just want to talk to the men for a moment in the room. And I'm calling you men for a reason. So ladies, just listen up. But I want to talk to them for a minute. Men, we suck at some things. And I want to just address a few things that it's just, I think, three things that I just want to kind of put in front of us tonight as men. And to say, as we get into the conversation about dating and relationships, I want to call you. I want to challenge you. 
to be a man. I want to challenge you, number one, and, and girls, feel free to just say amen to this one, not any other ones, but just this one. Number one, I want to challenge you as you begin to date or get into relationships to give your intentions early and clearly. <laughs> Give your intentions early and clearly. Ask a girl on a date. Can we spell date together? D-A-T-E. Ask a girl on a date. Not, yo, you want to hang out sometime? <laughs> Not, hey, what you doing this weekend? You want to chill? <laughs> Not, text at midnight, you up? Want to watch a movie? No, nobody wants to watch a movie with you. <laughs> Listen, when you say this stuff, when you say that stuff, you leave the girl wondering, what is this? That, that, that is a recipe for a situationship. Does he need a friend? Does he need prayer? Is he a serial killer? I don't know. What, what is happening here? It's not clear. And it's not honoring to her. Okay, so let me give you just... Another option here that I think would really be honoring to her. Hey, I would like to take you on a date to dinner and a walk around the park. Isn't that beautiful? And then I love, I love this next part. I don't know where there's a good park to walk around. Go find one. I love this next one. Hey, I'd, love, I'd like to take you on a date to dinner and walk around the park. You don't have to give an answer now, but just let me know. All the girls say, oh, right? Here's why that's important. Number one, you're clear with your intentions. And number two is this. You've had time to think about this. You've had time to emotionally prepare for this. You got your boys in your corner. They've been hyping you up. You got your small group praying for you. You got everybody like on your team. You've told your dad back home, hey, dad, I'm about to ask this girl. Listen, you are ready. She is not, okay? Give her some time to think about it and then give her the right to say no. Ladies, you have the right to just say, no, thank you. I'm not interested, okay? Fellas, be a big enough man to just take it, all right? She's not Satan. She's not the enemy, okay? She's just not interested, and that's okay. Next thing, and I'll take it a little bit more serious. Fellas, I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you to train your eye to see true beauty. Train your eye to see true beauty. King Solomon in the Bible was writing to his son in the book of Proverbs. And he writes all these incredible things in the book of Proverbs. And he's, he writes in, in Proverbs chapter 7 a long story, but a warning to his son. And I wish I could read it to you. We, we just don't have time. Go back and read it. Proverbs chapter 7. And he's warning his son of a woman who entices him with her sexuality. And he says, watch out for her. She's wild. She puts cinnamon on her bed. I don't know what that is, but if that happens, that is the devil, okay? Watch out for that. Like, he describes this lady. And he says, literally at the end, he says that her house leads to hell. That's the Proverbs 7 woman. He later describes in the book the Proverbs 31 woman. 
which is a long chapter as well, filled with, listen to this woman who loves the Lord. She is strong and confident in who she is, and she fears the Lord. In fact, one of the last verses says this, charm is deceptive. I want you to hear this as a dad telling his son. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord will be praised. That's a Proverbs 31 woman. And men, hear me closely. You live in a world that notices and celebrates the Proverbs 7 woman, but not you. I want to challenge you, not you. You notice and you celebrate the Proverbs 31 woman. Ladies, ultimately, it's up to you. Who do you want to become? But men, here's what I believe. There's a lot of Proverbs 31 women out there who becomes, they become Proverbs 7 women because that's all that guys are giving their attention to. And so I want to bring the men together to say, not us. What is beautiful to us is the Proverbs 31 woman. The woman who entices with her sexuality, that is a desperate woman. And a desperate woman becomes a needy woman and eventually becomes a nagging wife. We'll get there one day, but not us. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And then lastly, man, I just want to challenge you with this. Step up and lead. Step up and lead. Be a leader. I get asked a lot of times, you know, Austin, I want to lead as a husband one day, but how do I lead right now as a, as a boyfriend? I suppose there's probably a couple different ways I'd answer that, but I know I would say this. You lead with the boundaries talk. You lead by setting the boundaries. Men, you lead by setting the boundaries. Boundaries around time, talk, and touch. Boundaries around time. Time we spend together. Listen, men, for her to become the woman that God created her to be, she needs more than you. She needs her friends, she needs mentors, she needs small group Bible studies, she needs church, she needs other activities that she can be a part of. She needs more than you. So don't suck up all of her time. Put some boundaries around the time that you guys spend together instead of just consuming every minute that y'all have. Boundaries around talk. I, I think this is smart boundary as a couple, but I just want to challenge you specifically as an individual man. What are you comfortable talking about? What are you okay coming out of your mouth? Because I am convinced of just as much of this as I have been of anything that I've said tonight. As your talk goes, your mind has already gone. So what comes out of your mouth is simply just what's been in your heart and in your mind. The scripture says it's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you, it's what comes out of your mouth that defiles you. So what are you speaking? And I just, man, to be honest, I'm so like discouraged and somewhat disheartened by like what Christian men are comfortable speaking about. Man, are you just 
you're cool with throwing around some sexual jokes here and there and ha 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 that's what she said blah 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 and just kind of testing the waters a little bit what is she comfortable with what is she not or can I say this can I not what are my you know what just as the dudes what do we talk about how do we talk can I just tell you men lead the way in what you're comfortable saying because if it's coming out of your mouth it's in your brain and it's definitely in your heart and so people always ask me, you know, I just want a pure mind. I just want a pure mind. Well, a good start is to look at what's coming out of your mouth. Do you have pure talk? I'll just be honest with you real quick. Um, several months ago, I took my family out to eat. We went to Nona Peachy, and it was, I think it was a Thursday night or something. And we were rolling up there like 6 o'clock. It's not like it was 10 o'clock at night. I got a 4-year-old, right? Rolling up there about 6 o'clock, and I park. We get our kids out. We start heading into the restaurant. And kind of from, from a little bit of ways, I can see that there's a group of guys standing out by their trucks, hanging out, laughing, having a good time. I'm like, okay, this would be interesting. And so we have to walk past them to get into the restaurant. And as I walk past them, I start getting closer and closer to them. I mean, I, I'm absolutely horrified by the way that they were speaking. I'm, I'm honestly horrified for you ladies if those are the kind of men that you're around. They were talking about some trip they just went on and I'm sitting here trying to rush my four-year-old boy and seven-year-old past these guys going, oh dear God, help them not to hear what these guys are talking about because it was absolutely disgusting. So I just want, just want to ask you, where are you at with the talk stuff? Be different. Lead the way. Don't just fall into culture and what everybody else says is cool. Who cares? Because here's what I know. What's unacceptable out of your mouth will soon be unacceptable in your mind. So pay attention to how you talk. And then lastly, lead the boundaries conversation with touch. We're going to get into this in a few weeks and talk a little bit more about our sexuality and what God designs and desires for that. But I want to just challenge you as a man to lead the way, to say, I want to honor God in my relationship. I want to honor God in our relationship. And I'm not going to wait and see, you know, what is she comfortable with doing? I'm going to lead the way and say, this is my boundary. And then I would just challenge you, men, if she's like, no, 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 we need to push it back. Like, like. You said, you're, you know, your boundary is we just don't lay down together. My boundary is like we're not even in the same room together. If she says that, then you go, absolutely, sounds good. That's the boundary. But you lead the way. Too many guys out there are just waiting to see, you know, what is she willing to do? That's not how a man of God leads. You lead right now. You lead right now saying, I want to have a God-honoring relationship. And so this is my boundary. And I want to honor God in every way that I possibly can. How far is too far? Wrong question. How much can I honor God with my whole life? Right question. And the good news tonight, men especially, is that it's never too late to have the conversation. Never too late for you to set the boundary. You set it at any point. Beginning, middle, set it and lead the way. And so I want to do something maybe a little bit different tonight, and I want to ask all the men to stand. I just want to pray for you. 
you would just stand. I want to pray over you. This is cool. I'm looking at every single one of you. We have a responsibility. We have an opportunity to lead the way. And I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it will be easy. I'm not saying it's easy right now. I'm not saying it's fun. I'm not saying it'll be cool. What I am saying is that if you want to say, God, I'm yours and I'm dependent on you, then stay in the fight. And maybe for some of you, you need to get in the fight to, to lead the way, to be a man. So I just want to pray over you. Father, I thank you for each one of these young men. God, standing up right now is a room full of potential <laughs> of what could you do with the lives of men who are fully devoted to you, the lives of men who refuse to be distracted, but who are set on loving and serving you with their life. What would you do with these hundreds of men standing So, God, I pray that you would fill them with your spirit. God, I pray for the men who are standing who are full of shame because of things that they've done or ways that they've failed. God, I pray that you would flood their heart with your love and that you would pull them close to you tonight and that you would say, keep moving, son. Keep moving, son. I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. And, God, help them to get in the fight. Help them to stay in the fight. And God, I pray that as they begin, Lord, that this would not just be a moment tonight, but God, that you would meet them where they're at tomorrow morning when they wake up. We pray in Jesus' name.